This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show, in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here with my mother and co-host... Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Hyde. Hi, Mom. Well, I'm in California. You are in New York, and our guest is in Rhode Island, right? Yep. So from all three different places all around the country. And we are all coming together here today to talk about transforming your life after loss. And learning to breathe again, Yes, and learning to breathe again. Okay, so we are talking about learning to breathe again, and our guest is Kelly Kittle. Uh, Kelly Kittle's 15-month-old son, Noah, was run over by her 16-year-old niece. Nine months later, due to medical error, she had a stillbirth son named Jonah. Caught up in a malpractice lawsuit, Kelly and her husband battled not only the medical system, but their own relatives. She is the author of Breathe, a story of motherhood, death, and family in the face of unspeakable tragedy. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Kelly. It's uh, so good to have you on. I, I have to say your book is really quite riveting and uh, so many facets and uh, interesting things in your story. It, it's incredible. And it took you seven years to write it, right? Yeah, seven years to write and publish it. Yep. Yeah. Incredible. Well, mm-hmm. I want to tell people a little bit more because I want to run it, run down a little bit about it. It, it because there's so many facets. First of all, you have had seven children, right? Right. And two of them died. Mm-hmm. One in run over by your niece, Callie, in the driveway of your house in Oregon, right? Or, right. or, or their was, house? It was at my in-laws' house. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Wow, incredible. And he was just 15 months old, Noah. And did he die immediately? No, he didn't die immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, Died at the hospital? We did CPR. I was a trained first responder um, until the ambulance came, and then he was life-flighted to Portland. He was run over on the coast of Oregon, so that was a three-hour drive um, for us. He was taken off in life flight ultimately, and we had to drive. And they basically kept him alive until we got to Portland. So, yeah, not immediately. Uh, we could do a whole show on and dealing with all that kind of trauma. And then mm. a year later, you had uh, another child, a stillbirth, due to medical error, right? Correct. Nine months later, I got pregnant right away after Noah died, which was amazing because, as you know, you're so sick. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't eat or anything. And I felt... Um, like the least healthy person in the world and found out I was pregnant, which was a fabulous thing because, you know, that got got us through all those terrible firsts for nine months anyway and gave us something to look forward to. Um, Mm -hmm. So then when when Jonah was stillborn, that was really devastating. It really just knocked me for a loop, yeah. And you had three older children, Hannah... Mm-hmm. Christina and, and Micah, right? Right, Hannah, Christiana, and Micah. And they were still little. I think Hannah was eight. She was the oldest. <laughs> you um, had, wow, I, I just, uh, huge. And, and I wondered, I just want to 
wanted to go back to how you and your husband met uh, in the Peace Corps, you and Andy, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, we met and, in the Peace Corps in Jamaica. And yeah. I'm, I always say I'm very thankful for having had that experience because um, having been in the Peace Corps, you know that life can be very hard for a lot of people in the world, you know, and you, um, it gives you a big reality check. But I knew that sitting with almost any mom in the third world, having lost two children wouldn't be all that unusual. Yeah, because I know you hearken back to that in the book, and I, I always think, I've, I've said that to Heidi before, she went on Outward Bound uh, mm. uh, after her brother died, and, and how, um, right, Heidi, those experiences, you can hearken back to them, right? Absolutely, because, you know, you, you, you go through a lot. I mean, I know the Peace Corps is very different than Outward Bound, but it was just a very, very rigorous, difficult, difficult month. And, uh, you know, it teaches you just to, to move forward, one hour at a time if you need to and to compartmentalize and hope eventually you'll you'll see the light again. And like you said, Kelly, I mean, going to a third world country, I, I imagine would have been an amazing experience because you do, you are around people that have, women and mothers and parents that have had multiple losses. Right. And gone on to survive and watching them has got to be, give you a source of strength when things get really hard, thinking about those stories. Well, I mean, it, it helps you not to feel so sorry for yourself, basically, mm -hmm. when you know you're still pretty fortunate compared to a lot of how the world lives. But I think that um, in our culture, we've always raised our kids. We've tried to raise our kids to be citizens of the world, mm -hmm. having met in the Peace Corps um, and not so much of America, because I think in our culture, we aren't used to dealing with disappointment and we don't expect life to be hard. Whereas in other cultures, they do expect life to be hard. So then when life is hard, they're not so disappointed. Mm -hmm. And they're better capable of, of, of dealing with it than we are. So you and Andy met, and then mm -hmm. you moved to Oregon, where his whole extended family, very, very uh, close family, right? I get that right. feeling from reading the book. Yeah, absolutely. Andy and I, my mother called us East meets West because I'm from a New England Mayflower Society family. And Andy is from a West Coast Oregon logging family, so he was the youngest of eight. So, yeah, it's a very ex big extended family, which I was more than happy to assimilate into. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you lived by uh, your in your sister-in-law Cody's house? Yeah, we actually rented a house from her right across the street, like diagonally from her and her family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was her daughter, Callie, that was driving um, the... Uh, it's kind of interesting. I was telling Heidi the car. T tell us about the car. Because they bought uh, the... Uh, what what kind of car was it? Oh, Tahoe. Oh, Tahoe, yeah. yeah. And everybody bought more Tahoes. And I, and I, I, I said to Heidi, they actually kept the car that... I know, it's ran over Your son, that was pretty incredible, wasn't it, Heidi, when I was playing it? That? It was it's disturbing to me on some level because... um. This is a vehicle that accidentally ran over and killed your 15-month-old. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this, this teenager, she was a teenager, is still driving this vehicle. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. And we had to obviously watch her driving it all the time. And the irony there, as I write about in the book, is that any other accident my sister-in-law had ever had, she would sell her car immediately, even if it was just a little fender bender and say the, bad, the car had bad karma. Mm-hmm. So for her not to sell that car and for us to have to look at it every single day, you know about post-traumatic stress yes. disorder and seeing that 
damn car every single day across the street from me was so difficult, and it brought it all, you know, just screaming right back every single time. So, um, and I can certainly understand why. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, it would be a major trigger, you know, to see that that car. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, the, the book is very interesting in how you try to bring the family together, you know, try to get people to have counseling, try to talk to about it, and to pretty much no avail. Uh, you know, people mm-hmm. uh, seem not to want to get too involved at times, different family members, and and eventually you end up moving back east again. And mm-hmm. And this is after you have had your stillbirth and you realize from talking to the people back east because uh, you're pregnant again, and they let you know that the death of your child may, there were things that they should have known, the mm. medical community, the doctor, high blood pressure, uh, toxemia, all sorts of things like that have been going on, and nobody told you and helped you. So eventually you and your husband, with your husband's support, decide to bring a lawsuit. And you take bring a lawsuit in Oregon and Lo and behold, I cannot even believe this, your sister-in-law, Cody, volunteers to be a witness against you. Wow. Right. I know truth is stranger than fiction, correct? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's an incredible in-law story, and, I, and I'm not going to tell anybody how the, the lawsuit ends. It is fascinating. If you have had a lawsuit, you are going to want to read this and wonder if you want to do it or if you mm-hmm. don't or if it was worth it or who knows. But, and if you have some family in-law issues, it's incredible, and it's just filled with things that you're going to want to read about. So I'm just going to leave people with that about your book, because I want to talk to you about how you learn to breathe again. And you do talk about that in the book, but I'd love you to talk about that. Yeah, um, that are basically the stories about, like, family dysfunction on steroids, right? And we'll leave it at that, but... um, you know, denial is a really powerful, powerful thing, and denial plays a big role in this story and probably in a lot of other stories as well. But yeah, I had stopped breathing, basically. You know, um, after Jonah died, I was really a wreck. I mean, losing Noah was, was so hard, but losing Jonah was, was just devastating, as I said, nine months later, two babies in one year. Well, that's what I'm wondering. I was wondering, Kelly, all along throughout this interview, when you lost Jonah, did you feel like, okay, I'm grieving for Jonah, but I'm also grieving for Noah? Because they were so close together. I mean, I don't, you know, it's not like you can compartmentalize pain, correct? When you're in pain all over, Mm -hmm. in every quadrant of your being, um, it's not like you can figure that out. And I always say, you know, people actually asked me after Noah and Jonah had both died, they asked, which did I miss more? Which is such a horrible question, right? Mm -hmm. And the only answer to that is, which would you miss more, your right arm or your left? Mm, I like that response. Right. Right? I thought that was such a good analogy in the book when you said that, your right arm or your left. Because I think people discount a stillbirth, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Um, There's a lot of that that goes on because they didn't know the child, whereas they knew... Um, they knew your uh, Noah. Exactly. And people like my mother-in-law said things like, you just have to look at it like it wasn't meant to be. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, it sure felt like something because it was a seven-pound baby. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, in, and as you know, like you store grief deep in every single cell of your body. And so I had stopped breathing into all that pain and just, you know, 
couldn't even remember how to barely keep myself alive by breathing. And so I went to a yoga class, and that was like a lifeline that I threw to myself because through that class I had to learn, you know, not only to breathe deep, but to breathe deep into all that pain and then to slowly start exhaling it it out of my body and um, get rid of it, you know, and heal myself. So okay. I, I credit yoga to a large extent with saving my life as well as my three little kids. I mean, I had three little kids. I didn't want to teach them that when life gets hard, you give up, you know, so we had to, and they helped us get through a lot of, a lot of those days. And I, I've got to, I've got to back up for a second, Kelly, because you Go said ahead. you credit yoga and I'm going to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm a psychologist. They are doing a lot of research right now um, on the benefits of yoga. Yeah after loss. And so I love that you're kind of giving it a shout out because for people out there that are listening, you don't have to be a yogini to do yoga. I I do yoga, you know, I did it this morning, you know, and it it does shift our energy. And just if you even start in a restorative yoga class, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're just kind of laying in different positions, it does open up your heart and it does move your energy. And like you said, the body, you know, Keep score. You know, we wrote, we we interviewed someone that wrote a book called "The Body Keeps Score," which is a best-selling book, talking all about how grief gets trapped in our bodies, yeah. and we need put things like yoga to help move it out. Yeah, and I was thinking about this actually before the last Compassionate Friends conference, which we did have yoga at that, which was fabulous. But you know, I think I think what the the goal is. I mean, every time you can create that little teeny bit of space, every time you can release a tiny part of your sorrow and your grief, you create a little bit of space for joy mm-hmm. and happiness. I like that. Yeah, right? that's not... Yeah. Well, and talk about writing, too. What did writing do for you? Writing this memoir. So they say there's no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. And for me, this was that story. It's not only the only story I have to tell, but it's definitely this story that life handed me. And I always say, if it wasn't my life, I wouldn't believe it. So I had to tell this wild story. I mean, as you know, it's not just a story about losing two boys. It's a story about a lot of other things. And um, it's pretty incredible. Like, I would never have believed that people could behave this way. But people don't always behave the way they think we think they will, you know, when, it, when faced with grief and death and all of these kind of tragic things in life. So, right. um so I had to write this book, and it, like any book that you would write about any of your children, what it is at heart is a love story. Mm-hmm. You know, and before I wrote this book, any, I always say, all anybody really knew, unless they were with us in those days, what, about Noah and Jonah was that they had died. Mm-hmm. But then they read this book, and they realize that they lived. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like resurrecting them and making them manifest again. It is just the most amazing thing. I didn't know that this would happen. I mean, the power of the word is incredible. And so now readers have met them, and they write to me, and they, you know, they hold my sons in their hearts, and they visit the cemetery and where they're buried, and it's just like the most amazing thing. Oh, that's incredible. Now, how was your family dealing with it? How's your husband's family, and how is your family? How well, did they deal with it? For the most, for the ones that I hear from, it's been overwhelmingly positive, and it's actually been very healing for some of, like my nieces, for instance, who also had their own experiences with this family, and now they get to see, 
they get to filter their own experiences through the, the lens of my story and realize for themselves that there was a whole lot of dysfunction here and it wasn't their fault either. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's been a pretty powerfully healing thing for other people in the family who also had, you know, thing, experiences with these folks. Now, I know you've written some articles and things, but this is your first book. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to say to people, they could write a book, couldn't they, if they wanted to, about, about their story. I always, that's one of my biggest pieces of advice for people. I mean, sometimes it takes a long time to find your voice. Noah died 18 years ago and Jonah 17. But when you do find your voice, then, you know, tell your stories. For women especially, I call these our war stories. Like, we didn't go off to war for the most part. We fight our battles right here on the home front with in-laws and birth and marriage and and friendship and, you know, all the day-to-day things that we encounter in our lives. Um, I think we need to tell those stories. And as you know, especially things like miscarriage and stillbirth. Mm-hmm. which have been largely taboo. Yeah. Well, how do you found that, right? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. and Kelly knows that we're on a, a Facebook page together with the Compassionate Friends, which is a, for people that have had miscarriage and stillbirth and pregnancy loss. And uh, it is so unacknowledged and minimized. And that's, I, I love that you're the one that's building awareness for this, Kelly, because you've had two losses and yet you're still acknowledging the fact that the stillbirth loss is as significant as the loss of your of your baby. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I, I think and that's you know, powerful. It is really. And I've also had, a, I mean, I've had 13 pregnancies. So I've had oh, a wow. slew of miscarriages as well. But, um, yeah, we didn't have that, right? 18 years ago, we didn't have all this social media. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so amazing that women have this kind of support at their fingertips because... Probably within the, your sphere of influence, the people that you see on a day-to-day basis or are related to, these things might not ever happen to anyone else you know, right? Absolutely, yep. yeah. And, you, and I did. I sat back and I thought, okay, now I've been through this and I can help other people. And I started looking around and I wasn't really seeing anyone. I actually looked through the newspaper and I would send cards and donations to people that when I saw that they had lost their child, people I didn't know. Because that's all I had in those days was the newspaper, so, you know? Exactly, uh-huh. exactly. And so I love all the, the media and all the, the ways that we can connect nowadays. Mm-hmm. And if people want to find you, Kelly, where do they go? How do they find you and how do they get their, your book? Oh, I have a website, kellykittle.com, K-E-L-L-Y-K-I-T-T-E-L.com. I don't think you can type that in on the on a search engine without tripping over me, so... Good. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) It's not that hard to find me. (laughs) And they could probably also just type in your book and find you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And my book's available anywhere, Amazon, bookstores, you name it. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say about writing about your children is that it's like spending time with them. And I honestly would look up from my keyboard some days and expect to see Noah come toddling across the floor towards me. And so it's a wonderful thing. You know, a lot of people say that must have been so painful and it wasn't painful at all. It was beautiful. I, I love that. And I love like what you're saying. It's, it's a way to spend time with him and to connect with him mm-hmm. and continue, have a continuing bond with him. I love that. Yeah. You know, and it's not that we want to be more defined by our, the children that have died than the ones that are alive. And there's that constant balance. 
going to have five living children. Mm-hmm. But, you know, come, we, we are pretty open about talking about them. We don't emphasize any of them one way or another. But, you know, the chan- your chances about talking of talking about your dead children are so fewer than they are about your living children. So any opportunity you get is just fabulous. That's why we love those conferences, right? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kelly. And thank you for talking to us about learning to breathe again. And you are an inspiration because you've, you've, you're someone that has found hope after multiple losses. Thank you. And I want to encourage everyone. I mean, live the life that you wanted your kids to, to live. That's just it. We've all done the hardest thing already by burying our babies. Now go out and do, be brave and do hard things. Do everything that scares you and, and live the most fabulous life you can think of for yourself, right? I love You're that. Right. I love Absolutely. That. Well, thank you, Kelly. It's been great thank having you Thank you so you much. It was so nice talking with you. Well, Heidi, uh, Kelly's a pretty amazing person, isn't she? And I, I just want to say to people, remember the book, Breathe, A Memoir of Motherhood, Grief, and Family Conflict. It's a very interesting read, and uh, you can see that Kelly enjoys life and that she also enjoys writing and is so descriptive. So there are so many things that you can get from reading this book. And again, you can find out what happened with the lawsuit. So I highly recommend that you get it. So, Heidi, uh, another great show today with a wonderful person. Absolutely, and I had no idea all the losses she's had, and she really is a lifeline to so many out there who do not know how they're going to survive right now. And as we always say, Mom, please lean on our hope until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, Others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.